on today's Expert Process Podcast. As a filmmaker, you've got to make sure in that first five minutes, man, I don't want to go anywhere but sit here and watch your story unfold. So they are instructed. They have to watch the first 5% and the last 10%. So if it's a feature, you have to watch the first five minutes and the last 10 minutes, no matter what. They call it five and diming. That was my friend, acting coach, producer, and film festival director extraordinaire, Greg Thompson. Greg shares some value bombs in how to get started in the industry, what to do for film festivals, and some straightforward advice and acting tips for young actors looking to get started in this industry. Stick around for part two of this two-part episode to learn more right after these messages. Do you know six in 10 businesses will fail within the first five years? First five years. Or 43% of Americans need a side hustle just to make ends meet? Just to make ends meet. Or that it takes 10,000 hours to master any subject? Any subject. Welcome to the Expert Process Podcast, where we cut the time to mastery in half with our seasoned pros. And now, from Atlanta, Georgia, broadcasting worldwide, worldwide. here's your resident expert, Durante Smith. Happy New Year. We are now in 2020. We have just started a new year. We just started a new decade. And I'd like to welcome you to the Roaring Twenties. Now, this is the Expert Process Podcast, and I'm your host, Durante Smith, and it's my job to interview some of the most hardworking, highly successful professionals on the planet. This show follows a 12-week online masterclass at theexpertprocess.com, where you'll learn from start to finish what it takes to make it in your industry, as the program is chock full of professional advice, resources, and even industry contacts to help you get to the next level in less than half the time. As you might expect, the masterclass changes from industry to industry every 12 weeks. Now, the podcast is your introduction. The masterclass is the blueprint, and I'm your guide. Now, buckle up and get ready for the ride. You're listening to the Expert Process Podcast. We'll be back in just a moment after we thank our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Airbnb. Now, if you're like me, you like to travel in comfort, style, but also economically when you can. And I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not keen on staying in someone else's home. That is until I discovered Airbnb, my friend. My very first stay was about six years ago in Santa Monica, California, ironically, during the American film market. I stayed in a beautiful home just 1.26 miles from the beach. And then there was the weekend getaway to Knoxville, which was incredible. Our hosts were top notch. They made breakfast for us. They made um, she actually made lunch, which was, I mean, insane. It was a music festival going on. So there was just great live music. Uh, We had dinner on the uh, river there at one of the local establishments, barbecue joints. And it was just a great experience. Then there was uh, Daytona that we got away for, again, for another short trip. It was about four hours down and back. And uh, Daytona was just, it was incredible. Great food, great weather. The beach was just beautiful. And it was the great time of year to go. So one other thing, locally here in Atlanta, we have a ton of just awesome Airbnbs. And then there's the the treehouse here, which I hope to go to very soon and take my daughter to. That's here in Atlanta that you can stay in. 
and it stays booked out, I think, six months out in advance. So that's one you definitely want to put on your list. Now, I'm a believer in crowd sharing and the disruptor industry, and I love, love, love me some Airbnb. So do yourself a favor and try it out. You can use my promo code to save $55 off your first adventure. Just go to bit.ly forward slash expert process Airbnb. Again, that's bit.ly bit.ly forward slash expert process Airbnb for your getaway or staycation today. And we pick up with the second part of our conversation. So that's a big one for me. I also learned I got to, I was unofficially sort of a screener for Sundance for a couple of years when I was in Los Angeles. And I, because I knew one of the screeners and he just couldn't keep up. And so I would go in and help do that. And I'm so grateful. One of the things he said to me that I thought was really fascinating when we were first starting is that um, most of the time with short films, they want some amazing idea. It doesn't even have to all be good. But at the core of that short film, there should be something that makes you go, wow, there's just something really amazing there. Because I had a hard time. I was looking at these films. I was like, this is horrible. But everybody else liked it. And he said, because we're looking at the seed of the idea. What, what is really at the, the core of it? Because we assume with a short film, they may not have the resources, the eye, the experience, whatever, to fully flesh it out. But we love the fact that they have come to this with something really fresh and interesting. And I watch a lot of short filmmakers. You know, you see these short films, you go, oh, my God, it's just overly complicated. And I'm not even sure what the idea is because you're not communicating it clearly. Right. And I thought, that's really helpful. You know, you can clog it all up and overthink it and over, you know, it just becomes overwrought. Because you, you're afraid it's not enough. And the truth is, find a great idea and communicate it clearly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You'll, you'll have a much stronger short film that way. You know, years ago in Atlanta, I made my first short film, actually in Florida, but I we premiered at Rome International back when it was really, you know, kind of a hot festival. I don't know how it's doing now. I haven't kept up uh, but with that. But... We, I really loved going to Rome and, and made good friends there. And so we brought our film swimming to the moon there. Well, I had listened to my filmmaker friends who'd already done it before me. I tried to share the information. Nobody listened. I had my actors and actresses and my crew. I told them point blank, you are representing our film. Now go party, have a good time. You're your own people. But don't forget, when you're here, you're representing our work. Think about that. Think about how you dress. Think about how you... Engage with people because you will determine our success. You are our marketing army on the street. Right. We arrived a week ahead of time, a core of us, and we, by the time anybody that had anything to do with the festival arrived, our posters and postcards were in every window, you name it. And I see filmmakers who, if it's a big festival and they don't do this, I'm like, if it's a big festival, guys, you got to get there ahead of time. That's right. You can't yeah. show up the day before your film. First of all, everybody's already stopped looking at all those boards. They've already planned their festival. You're too late. So that's one of the things I would say to young filmmakers coming up is that you need to understand the real dynamics of the successful festival screening. You're listening to the Expert Process Podcast. We'll be back in just a moment after we thank our sponsors. 
Recently, I read an article about student enrollment in traditional colleges is way down and online course enrollment is through the roof. With podcasts like this, you not only get free developmental information, you also get access to resources you wouldn't have otherwise. But if you really want to take your film game to the next level, you should consider taking my online masterclass. It's 42 online video modules for more than 50 hours of self-study complete with a full suite of resources. It's also live coaching and instruction from me and other industry professionals. People say, but Durante, why are you doing this? And I tell them, it's just my way of giving back. So, if you're serious about wanting to level up your film game, register for the free informational webinar today at theexpertprocess.com. Again, if you want to write a script, make a movie, sell a movie, or just learn how to get into the industry, this webinar is for you. I want to keep the groups fairly small. So sign up today because space is truly limited. Go to theexpertprocess.com and register today. Now on to the show. The other thing we did is we went in. I found a restaurant. I had $1,000 to spend. I found a restaurant and said, I want to host a, a party before my film screening. There was an original song, Rucka Sky, who's in Atlanta, who I adore. Awesome guy. He and his wife, Lane, they're just great people. He'd written this incredible song for the film. So we got Ruckus to come up and perform it live. So you're going to hear the debut of our song, of the song at this, uh, party. There'll be hors d'oeuvres and, you know, we got a cheap deal on wine and whatever. We, we sent actual printed invitations. I have people like, Oh, that's so expensive. No, it's not. Get creative. Lay it out on your computer, go to Kinko's, make them look nice, and then send invitations. I did it for like 20 bucks. But we sent invitations to every board member, to city fathers and council members and anybody who is of note, and to other filmmakers and people that we thought were going to be there. Invited to this pre-screening. I bought 100 tickets because I wanted to cover all my cast and crew. And by doing it that way, I got a great deal on them because they were like, oh, that's a huge block. We'd love to help you. Well, whatever was left over, I just handed out at the party. Right. All right. Well, then get this. We were right before Blood Car, which you may remember was made in Atlanta years ago and really cool group of guys and, and filmmakers. And um, so we screened right before them. They actually came up to me. One of them came up to me that I knew pretty well and said, hey, man, thanks for getting us such a good audience. <laughs> And we're the little short film, right? you know, right. and so we, we do it. Well, we win the audience choice award. You would not believe Durante, the number of people who made the comment. Yeah. Well, they bought that award. Mm. So here's what I have to say to that. I was the producer as well as the director and writer. Mm. I was doing my job as a producer. That's how you do that. That's right. My job as the producer is to make sure that we do everything we can to market that film, to put those butts in those seats and to make warm, fuzzy feelings. That's called show business. Well, the other thing is I had a similar experience. Are you familiar with the ABFF, the American Black Film Festival? I'm not, and I have to go look it up. So the ABFF is a very longstanding uh, film festival. The American Black Film Festival, it's, needless to say, it targets the African-American audience, mm -hmm. but it's not just an African-American film festival. But nonetheless, it used to be in Aruba, and then they moved to Miami. It was in L.A. for a while. I think it's back in Miami now. But back in 2000 or 2001, I had a short film that uh, got into the festival, screened, it won uh, Audience Toast Awards, and I think Best Director for short. But the point being is, I took a very similar approach in the marketing of the film. Now, here's where I'm going with that. 
after the film is over, after the award, I ended up getting approached by uh, two or three different companies that wanted to produce the film from a short to a feature, right? And uh, mm-hmm. this is back still when Blockbuster was big. So these guys were the intermediaries between the filmmakers and Blockbuster. But what they did was, this is like Maverick Studios and those guys. You know, what they did is they come in, they give you $50,000 to make your movie, and then they owned everything. So you make your movie yeah. for, you know, for 20 grand, you're good. But <laughs> anything over 50 grand, then you're, you're at a loss. So I yeah. passed on the opportunity. Knowing what I know now, I probably wouldn't have passed on the opportunity. But I passed on the opportunity simply because it just didn't feel right to give them all the rights. Now, they would own all the rights to everything. If they own the masters to the film, the music, to any ancillary, everything. And this is a different time. This is back when Blockbuster money was still good. <laughs> you know, That was when Blockbuster right. was still paying big money for features. But, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where if you understand how to get your audience, right, how to market to the audience, then you also understand that it's going to take more work than just sending out a few tweets or a couple of Facebook posts and all that. I mean, it is a strategy, and that's one of the things that I talk about often. This entire thing, if you really want to make a marketable or sellable film, the entire thing is very, very strategic, from your story to to the folks you get involved in the project, to the actors, to getting it, to releasing it. it. It's all very strategic. Well, and that's the thing, you know, going back to your original question, you know, the deliverables in these things have changed. You know, we see people who, like my, I took one big meeting in, at Universal. It was the biggest meeting I got while I was in Los Angeles to talk about a script. And the woman looked at me and said, you know, I like this a lot. I would love to make it. You're, nobody knows who you are. And unfortunately, if we look at you and you, we don't feel like you have a big enough presence or you can help create a big enough stir, we're not going to invest money in you. And that's hard to hear, but it's important, you know? It's really important to understand what that's about. It's what Lady Gaga did so masterfully. Think about it. I remember the first time seeing photos of her and everybody was like, who is this freak show crashing the red carpets everywhere? And then right. she opened her mouth and everybody went, oh shit, she has the, the talent to back that up. Right. <laughs> You know, and that's, but it's a great lesson in that. A lot of people hear it and they poo poo it or they, they feel defeated by it. I'm like, no, I've never been somebody who's defeated by information. I'm not. I don't shade it in a way that says, oh, well, she did that. I can't do it. No, I don't care. I just, I want the core of that. And the core is she figured out how to show up. And by show up, I mean show up, be seen. Right. Be interesting. Tell her story. Make you look at her. But then you got to deliver the goods. Then you have to deliver. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And guess what? That formula has never changed. It's amazing how many people don't know. But that has always been the truth, hasn't it? Yes. You yes, sell somebody something, then you got to show up with it. And so I think the deliverables have changed. I think, you know... I think it's it's easier in a lot of ways. I can remember, you know, my first film, I had to have it in so many different formats for all the different festivals, and that tape stock got expensive. Mm-hmm. And then you got to shuffle it around and mail it, and la, la, you know, you didn't have all this, you know, where you can send them, um, oh, gosh, a DPI or whatever. You know, you couldn't do, or th- you know, put it on a thumb drive or whatever. It just, you couldn't do that. You had to make prints or you had to do whatever. You know, so the deliverables have gotten a little easier. Um and I, I think sometimes we're kind of in the point and shoot, unfortunately, the point and shoot phase of filmmaking. You know, ask any photographer and they'll tell you how awful it was when the point and shoot camera came up around and suddenly everybody and their brother could sell the local newspaper a picture for $25. Yeah. 
right. they were a photographer. And I think we're in that point and shoot period deeply in it now with filmmaking. When you've got cell phones in your hands that can shoot in 4K, right. you know, you're changing the game drastically. So what I would say to it, though, what, what has not changed is more important than what has changed or what is changing. And what has not changed is you've got to have a great story and you've got to give yourself time to develop that story. And then your film will still only be as good as your pre-production, period. That's right. You're listening to the Expert Process Podcast. We'll be back in just a moment after we thank our sponsors. A quick reminder, if you haven't signed up for the free webinar yet, pause what you're doing, open a new window on your phone or computer, go to theexpertprocess.com, and join now. You can thank me later. Now, back to the show. You know, years ago, I had... I had a friend in Atlanta who, with a doctor's degree in directing for for stage, I don't have a degree in directing, but I'd been I'd spent my whole life up to that point. We had known each other in college many years ago. He came to me. He asked me if we'd go to lunch. We'd lunch. I don't get it. I have a PhD from one of the best at directing programs in the country. I cannot get jobs. I said, well, talk to me about that. You know. So I said, well, you know, I had to volunteer. I the first probably ten shows I directed, I volunteered because you got to get seen. Right. If nobody knows who you are or your your skill is an unknown quantity to them, it's not even enough for them to hear your name. They got to see you. And he said, "Oh, pff, I'm I'm not doing that. I don't I don't give my okay. I can tell you what's wrong." And I said, "Well, here's the other side that you don't understand. Because I did that, I created a network of not just of people who knew me. I created a network of theaters who had things that I could use. And I got news for you. At the end of the day." The person who wins is the person with the most resources. Yes, that's right. Not not necessarily money. It's that I can pick up a phone and go, hey, remember the backdrop we used for so-and-so? Can I borrow that? I'll pay for the shipping. That's right. Hey, I need your costumes for so-and-so. Can you work me a deal? you got to be able to do that. And I don't think that young people especially understand that networking is not socializing. Right. They, they have an interconnectivity, but they are not the same. You know, that's what producing is all about. Producing is just that. It's finding a thread and connectivity to other people and because they're going to need things like you need things. And I have resources and they have resources. And bringing those resources together to help each other further, you know, where we're trying to go. That's all exactly. producing is. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly it. And that's networking. It's not necessarily socializing. It's networking. It's under, you know, that's a different beast altogether. But, and I think part of it too is I think that a lot of times we see with young filmmakers, I certainly did it, that, you know, this sort of, well, I'm going to do it my way. Okay. Good luck. Right. Yeah, I know I'm old. I know that some of my thinking sounds antiquated, but I got news for you. At the end of the day, there are some things that do not change. And I think the real trick right now in this environment, especially where so much is changing and has changed so fast and continues to change so quickly, those are slippery fish. The things that have not changed that are still the core of great storytelling, of getting yourself to the market, of presenting yourself well if you can get there, those haven't changed. Like it or not, they haven't. You may have different channels to do it. You may need different skill sets to do it, but you're still doing the same thing. Right. And I think that's a hard one for young people to, because we, unfortunately, I think, you know, our generation, I think we're probably fairly similar in age within a, you know, 10 years, let's say, um, or so. Um, 
you know, we grew up respecting those people, our elders. I, I remember sitting with my grandfather just wanting to hear everything he had to say because he was so engaging and it was so interesting. And, and in hindsight, boy, I didn't know the education I was getting from people like my granddad and my dad and my brothers and sister and, you know, people before me. And I had the, what a great treasure chest and you don't realize it till you realize it. So true. But let me ask you this, Greg. If you had, one thing to tell these film festival folks that want to enter into film festivals and whatnot, what should be their goal coming out of a festival? Because, you know, a lot of folks don't even understand what that is. They submit to a film festival, but not even understanding what the next step is. What should be the goal of that? You know, that's a hard question, I think, because I think we all have different goals, and that's certainly fine. You know, and I think a documentary, for instance, a documentarian is going to have a very different set of goals than, you know, a narrative filmmaker. Are you entering your festival with a short? Well, if you're entering your festival with a short, you obviously are trying to get people behind you that will help you get to that first feature. You know, mm-hmm. I think certainly any film, you're looking for it to be a calling card and, and an intro into to the next level of wherever it is you think you want to go. I mean, a lot of times, like I've met documentary filmmakers that they're really doing that film is part of them looking for grant money to do other work and so on and so forth. So their goals are very different. You know what I mean? Because they can right. use that and go back and say, okay, I want this Fulbright thing to go study so and so in this country or whatever. And the film is actually just part of that package and making that happen. So I think it depends on what your what you you know what your films are and what your own personal goals are. And I think uh, here's what I would say at the end of the day. I think one of the most debilitating things for most artists, whether they're actors or filmmakers, is know what you want. And by that I mean this: when actors come into me and you say, "Okay, so why are you doing this?" It's my favorite first thing to say. First, I say, "Who are you?" And they always tell me their name, and I go, "That's not what I ask you. That's just your name." So let's start with the fact you need to learn to hear, you need to learn to listen. I ask you who you are, but then I ask, why are you here? And I love the ones who get all sheepish and go, I just love acting. I just, you know, it's that I just want to be, oh, shut up. You want to be a movie star, say that. Because <laughs> they are two different goals, guys. Right. They are. And I think for filmmakers, too, if you want to be Spielberg, then you need to start saying, I want to be Spielberg. Then your work has to reflect that. Right. And then it will take you where you need to go. So I think, if that makes sense, I think you got to, what's more important is, what do I do after that festival? What is your target? What are, and be honest. Put it out in the world. Because the world is not, does not play well with sheepish and coy. True. Tell it what you want. And be proud of that. And be okay with that. And don't let anybody marginalize it. Look, when people do that reaction of, oh, well, they're jealous. I'm sorry, they are. And sometimes people get the wrong notion about jealousy. Oh, well, I'm not that good. It's not about that. It's that you've got gumption. You're getting up and doing it. Oftentimes, I find most jealousy is about comes from people who simply don't have whatever it takes to get up and do the thing they've talked about. It's not that they're jealous of your talent. They're jealous of your get up and go more often than not. They're jealous of your ability to complete an idea or a project. It is amazing to me. I'm old enough now to see that that's what that's about. And they're jealous of your fearlessness. Mm, that's so true. It's, and that's why, you know, for me, I, I, I had that for years. People were like, because I'm one of those people, I just go. You know, people have laughed at me here in El Paso. They're like, you have done more in two years than most people do in 10. And we're not sure how you do it. Well, because I just go. I'm relentless. You know, I know what I want to do, and I get up and I work at it every day. Really hard, you know. And I do believe in those energies and that that energy attracts things to you that you want. But I would say that's the most important thing is know what you want and then look like it. 
Right. See, that's the other thing is that I love these people who are like, well, I want to be Spielberg, and they make these cute little films with two people sitting smoking cigarettes in a cafe. What part of Spielberg is that? <laughs> you have to represent that idea and that ideal and that goal to the world. Figure it out, then be proud of it, and put it in the world. But you can't tell the world, I want to be this, and show it something different. It's confusing. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I would yeah. say more than anything, you've got to be really clear about your brand and who you are and your goals going into that festival, and the, the other part will take care of itself. Where you fail is where you go into a festival and they go, I'm not sure who you want to be or what you're trying to be. Well, then nothing will follow. Right. Because no one knows how to follow up. It's not because you're not good. It's not because you're, you know, you take that energy in in a negative way. And it's like, it's not that you're not talented. It's not that your film isn't good. I just don't know what, I don't know what to do with it. I don't know, I can't get a handle on what you want to be and where you're headed. And like it or not, this is something I tell people all the time. We are all looking for the cut line. Make it hard for me to find. See, if you're confusing, oh, that's an easy cut. I move you off my list and deal with the people who are clear. Because mm-hmm. that is the truth. We're all, you know that. Look at casting. When I cast mine in L.A., I was amazed. I had over 4,000 submissions overnight. I released it at midnight. I had literally almost like seven or 800 for the waitress with one line. So, Durante, how am I going to do that? I have no choice. I open my Actors Access page for the casting, and I go through, and I click on everybody who just – I automatically go, I'm just never going to cast you. I don't I don't see it. And I delete you. I had an actor friend who wanted to sit and watch that process who was horrified. How can you do that? You know, Because I'm looking for the cut line, guys. I have to start right. somewhere. It starts somewhere. I'm trying to yeah. get to something. I am not not casting anybody. Yeah, you have to trim the fat. That's what you're saying. That's right. You just It's part of the process. You're listening to the Expert Process Podcast. We'll be back in just a moment after we thank our sponsors. I want to share something with you guys. Most of you probably don't know I'm a single parent of a beautiful seven-year-old little girl. I won't go into details about really any of that because it's not relevant. But as a single parent, a single dad with a vision to mold his daughter's outlook, I sat her down and we discussed how she could build her own brand, develop her own TV shows as really it's a new day. She can do what she wants to do. So we just released our first few pieces of her apparel brand, Madison Lauren, and we're launching her YouTube channel next week. You do realize you can play YouTube through your television set, through your smart TV app, Roku, or really any other set-top device now, right? So, in an effort to support my seven-year-old aspiring model, aspiring filmmaker, aspiring chef, and aspiring climate activist, I ask you to follow her at Madison Lauren Apparel and Accessories on Facebook or visit her website for great gift ideas at Thrifty Lil Diva, that's T-H-R-I-F-T-Y-L-I-L-D-I-V-A dot me. So again, that's Madison Lauren Apparel and Accessories on Facebook or Thrifty Lil Diva. That's T-H-R-I-F-T-Y-L-I-L-D-I-V-A dot me. Thrifty Lil Diva dot me. Okay, Madison, what's your motto? We love you just the way you are. (laughs) They grow up so fast. Oh, daddy. (laughs) Now back to the show. So again, the lesson in that to the filmmakers is those headshots, guys, be clear. 
Know who you are. Know what you're trying to get on camera. Work with that photographer. If you're not happy, tell them you're not happy. Can we reshoot? If you get the answer of, well, but I have to charge, fine. Can we work a deal? I've already paid you once. I've had those all those conversations. But don't give up and don't get all you know wounded. Stay in the game and work. It's work. I recently I had somebody say, you know, I don't want to step on your toes. And I looked at him and said, well, first of all, let's stop there. You cannot step on my toes. I don't bring my toes to work with me. I need you to be full-throated and passionate about what you bring to this process and not worried about what I'm going to feel or think. But you've got to get to a place where you're secure enough to be able to be at the table. See, that's the problem. It's not that people are afraid there's no room at the table. They're not secure enough to go sit at that table and be fully present give the space to all the other collaborators that they need and take the space when they need it. Right. The problem is we stand and stare at everybody at the table. But then you don't fit in. If you're staring at everyone at the table, yeah. then you don't fit in. That just means you're not confident in yourself. That's exactly right. Yeah, and you got to go and listen to people. And they may say things you don't want to hear. The, the trick is not to tuck tail and run. It's to go and figure out, why don't I like hearing that? Right. What in that do I not like hearing? What is it? Was it their tone? Well, that's something I can't control. But was there some value in what was said, and why is it hard for me to hear? That's right. positive work. That's that's productive work for the self. And I think so often, you know, young people want. And I have a friend that worked at Sony for years. He said, "I think the worst thing that ever happened to kids is video games." I said, "Why?" He said, "Because think about it. They have immediate gratification all the time. I push the button, I see it happen on the screen. I push the button, it happens. I push it, it happens. And life is not like that." He said, I watch all these young people coming into Sony and they don't understand why they're not already, you know, directing the big films and they're not. And it's like, cause you, it doesn't, it's not a video game. I know you pushed the buttons. You went to film school. You did it, but you do not get an immediate result. That is what you want it to be. I would argue that social media is probably equally as bad, if not. Oh, worse, yeah. Because you get the immediate gratification of the thumbs up or the like or the heart or whatever, you know. And it gives these people a very false sense of security or a false sense of success because it's That's like right. you're social media famous. That doesn't mean <laughs> that doesn't right. mean it has value anywhere else. When listen, when Donald Trump became president, this is not about being political. It's about the environment around our politics in the last three years. It you know it is what it is. Uh, he 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 is whatever. Doesn't matter to me. But what I noticed was how our environment was changing. And so I felt like at the core of it was that how many people felt so disrespected on every side. And so I thought, what is one thing I could do on a constant basis to try to add something positive back into the world? And I sat with the idea of, okay, so what is respect to me? What, how, how can I show respect if I don't know what that looks like? And, you know, there are different kinds of respect. There's respect we have of a, you know, a marriage, for instance, is very different than somebody I just met. Now, I owe them the respect and dignity of a fellow human being, but I don't owe them beyond that, but those things are really important, and it really boiled down to me. People want to be seen, and they want to be heard. Right. Otherwise, you're invisible, and so I make it a point. If I go to, for, for instance, if I go to Starbucks, I do not walk up to the counter with my cell phone to my ear. It's rude right. to everybody involved, the people in line behind me, the people who are trying to help me. It's rude. I will stand back, and I'll finish my phone call. I'll say, let me call you back. I just want to get my coffee. Or I'll say, do you mind holding on for a minute? I'm going to place my order before I get there. And then I put my phone to my side and let that friend who's kind enough to say, I get it. Just order your coffee. Tell me when you're back, right? But right. And then I walk up, and I say their name. If they don't sure. have a name tag on, I ask their name. Sure. And I yeah. engage with them, and I thank them. 
if we all really stop to realize how that helps people get through the day and do better work so that we get more of what we want, and it, you know, I love the people who will say, well, that has nothing to do with filmmaking. It has everything to do with everything. Agree. Filmmaking is about communicating. Filmmaking is about relationships. Yes. That's right. It's all that, guys. It's you know, it's how we treat one another. It's making everybody visible. It's bringing everybody to the story and pointing them in, in that direction so that we create the best thing we can. And you never know who has the solution to your problem. You don't yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, sure. I, you've done this. Listen, Duran, you, you've done this. You're on a set with somebody. It's not their department, but they happen to be on a film set three weeks ago where they were able to solve that problem, and they were standing there when they did it. Mm. So right. suddenly the grip, who should have no idea necessarily what's going on with the camera department, can go, hey, for what it's worth, I just was on this thing. They had this really cool idea. I watched them do it. It was awesome. But I've seen sets where it's not safe to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunate because we forget that we are collectively growing, like it or not. And if we can allow each other to come into the circle, it's only going to get better faster. You're listening to the Expert Process Podcast. We'll be back in just a moment after we thank our sponsors. A quick reminder, if you haven't signed up for the free webinar yet, pause what you're doing, open a new window on your phone or computer, go to theexpertprocess.com and join now. You can thank me later. Now, back to the show. Greg, I'm going to tell you something. When you make a movie for $5,000, you learn to listen to those folks around you who have the experience. <laughs> Okay. That's right. <laughs> I'm yeah. telling you, it does not get more collaborative than that because they know things, they know shortcuts, they know the ins and outs. You know, I mean, like I say, I, I don't claim to know it all, but what I do know is you just mentioned a very great point. Treat everyone with respect. If you can do that, then you've got a fair shot out the gate. You can't walk yep. in with your head tucked up your behind and think you're the know-it-all, be-all, everything, you know, buck stops with you and all. No, it's a collaborative process, you know. I learned that early, early on. You know, it's like, well, my uh, my first AD set me down. He's like, hey, look, man, I read through the script. I like it, but I've got some notes for you if you want it. I was like, yeah, sure. And then we had our first, you know, our first production meeting, and I asked everyone for their honest feedback because I want to make it better. People came to the table with their ideas and their thoughts and suggestions, and you take it with a grain of salt. I mean, obviously, you can't incorporate everything, but at the same time, it made it better. You know, and that's the thing, kind of attitude you have to have if you want to be successful, whether it's making a film, whether it's acting, getting your break as an actor, whether it's getting your film out there into the market and film festivals. Either way, it doesn't matter. It's still a very collaborative process, and the more you treat people with respect, the farther you'll go and the farther you'll see those opportunities open up for you. So, yeah, I agree and- wholeheartedly. Well, in Toronto, the film world is such a different beast than so many. Listen, you know, you know, you never know when you're standing next to a grip who's got a great script that three years from now is going to be producing that and at the helm. True. It's, you don't see that in theater. You, I've never seen a costume designer that's gunning for a director's job. Mm. It just doesn't, the cultures are so different. But when you're standing on a film set, you don't know. Who around you is going to be the next director, the next casting director, the next producer? The what? Film is like that, and, and that's what I like about it in a lot of ways. It's, it's fertile ground for creativity and for expansion and, and people learning and growing and so forth, so forth. One of the things that I teach in my classes, for instance, is you need to pay attention to the language of the set, and the director determines that language. Mm-hmm. Why does it matter? I have watched actors go in there. This is an example. And they'll sit there with the director who's going, okay, 
Kat, can we do that again? The word is and, you said but. And you'll see the, the actor, if you pay attention, they'll look to the other actor like, oh my God, are you kidding me? So I said and instead of but. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the wrong thinking. My thinking when I hear that is I go, aha, screenwriter turned director. Good to know. Now right. I'm going to speak his language. Right. I'm going to say, you know, I don't know why I keep saying and instead of but. I, I'm curious. Maybe I'm not understanding. Maybe there's something at the core of that thought that, you're, that you want me to communicate. Can you take one second? Now tell me anybody who wouldn't go, cool, yeah. If I've got it, yes, that's somebody I want to talk to now. Why? Because they are really talking to me. Right. It's it's the ones who get in there and they you know and, and you're sitting. The director keeps staring at the tap. You've seen this. So get the tap close so I can see. And I'm going to move the salt shaker 14 times. And I'm going to look at it on camera. And then okay, we're ready. Action. Okay, I have a an, I basically have Ridley Scott. I have an art director turned director. Mm-hmm. Why would I then say, hey, can we talk about the dialogue? Hmm. That's a very visual director. I'm not saying you can't, but you need to come at it from that place. Where I'm going to say, you know, when I'm saying that line, I'm moving this, I'm doing these things, how can I make all that work effectively? So I give you exactly what you want. Well, that goes back to what you said about being engaged on the film set. If you're over the, you at the craft services table and you're snagging it up and talking to folks all the time and chatterbots, you're not paying any attention, you're not going to get any of that. But, yeah, if you're paying attention on every film set or TV set that you go into – and you start to notice those nuances, yeah, oh yeah, that, it puts you, you know, puts you worlds ahead of the competition because, so then, as you said, you speak the director's language, and there's nothing, nothing better that we appreciate than to have that sort of communication and that fluidity between the actor and the director. I mean, it, it's so important. I, you know. One of the things, too, that I talk about is that young actors especially don't get this, whether it's theater or film. I I literally saw an actor do this on set, standing there, and we're chatting with the director. And he leans over and he goes, man, this costume, I don't know, I'm not feeling it. It's pretty horrible, isn't it? Something like that. You know, he starts about on about his costume. I'm like, well, first of all, the director is going to look at you like, why are we talking about a costume right now? We're in the middle of a shooting the scene. <laughs> right. And why that director, that actor doesn't understand is, to young actors, I would say this. Whoever you insult within my team, you have insulted me because nothing goes on that set or stage right. that I didn't ask for and or approve. That's right. You're insulting me directly, and they're too stupid to put that all together. I'm like, come on, guys. Foolish is a better word. I don't like the word stupid. They just don't get it. I'm like, do you not understand? I hear everything as the director. Mm-hmm. You wound my costume designer. They're going to to say, who's the jerk you cast in that role? What happened? Mm-hmm. Well, if you criticize her work, you're criticizing me because I told her what I wanted or him what I wanted. That's true. That's, you know, yeah. little things like that, and they don't understand why their career isn't going somewhere. Like, because you're you're staring at your your belly button. You're staring. It's all about you, and you're staring at your belly button. It's a bigger world. The other thing I would say and answer really quickly to you know, a lot of filmmakers know this, but a lot of especially artists don't. When you're pitching your script or you're sending me your film, so like for for our festival, we do just what I did for the Sundance stuff. We five and dime your film. Do you know that term? No, I've not heard of that. Okay, you're going to love this. So two little tidbits I want to add. This one. So in most festivals, I can't look. We're talking 10,000 screening hours. And I'm right. in the middle of trying to get the whole event to work. And I, I mean, our festival was pretty big. I had by the by the last year we were in four different venues. We had the transportation people involved, scheduling busing to get people to script. I mean, it was pretty enormous. 
So you can imagine, I don't have 10,000 hours of screening time. I have to really rely on all my screeners for that. And so they are instructed. They have to watch the first 5% and the last 10%. So if it's a feature, you have to watch the first five minutes and the last 10 minutes, no matter what. Now, if that first five is good and the last 10 is good, I've never seen a screener who will not watch the whole thing. Mm. But if the first five minutes is horrible... You're done. Why? I'm not going to keep going because guess what? My audience is not going to sit there after five minutes of horrible. Right. So you're done. So I've got a great five minutes and then I get to the last and go, oh, no, the ending is just a mess. I can't do that because then I'm going to have audiences that go and go, oh, that was terrible. I can't believe I sat through that. Good, bad, or otherwise, that's the truth of it. That's how script coverage is done. If I read the first five pages, I read the last ten pages. If those are good, now I'm dying to know what's in the middle. But if you have a terrible beginning and a terrible ending, it doesn't matter. We're not going to do that. They call it five and diming. And that's an important thing to remember. As a filmmaker, you've got to make sure in that first five minutes, man, I don't want to go anywhere but sit here and watch your story unfold. And then you've got to pay it off somehow. Even if it's irritating me because you didn't, you left it open-ended, but you've got to leave it open-ended well. You've got to leave me something to walk out with. So I think that's really important to young filmmakers going into these things and how to get your festival film into the better festivals and so on and so forth. The other thing I see a lot in scripts is that I see people, especially nowadays, people think, well, I'm going to read the book and I, how I read the book and I can screen right now and whatever. But there is a golden rule I see broken constantly, and that is in any given scene, everyone who's in it, character-wise, doesn't have to be your extras necessarily, but everyone who's in it, they have to be changed by the end of that scene. Mm. They cannot come into it as this person and leave it as that exact same person unchanged. Otherwise, the story's not moving forward. Why am I sitting here? Right, you tell me your character arm. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, but it's scene by scene. Mm. See, a lot of them look at it and go, oh, well, I have this character. Yeah, but, but the scenes getting us there are not interesting. Mm. The scene itself has to have an argument. Even as an actor, I teach that to other actors. I'm like, I always treat... The thing is, on a stage, I'm in control of the narrative. I control the arc as an actor. We as actors on that stage together have the responsibility of the rise and fall of tension that takes us from point A to point Z. Mm. But on a film set, I don't. It can get cut six million different ways. I could end up on the floor. There's a million things that can happen. You know how that goes. So I don't right. control the overall arc. But it's really helpful, I realize, is that I treat every scene as though it is a lifetime. I'm going to live as much of my life in this scene as I possibly can. And I will say, gratefully, I have not hit an editing room floor yet. And I do think that's part of the reason. Because I try to approach each scene as this, this is it. Everything I've got goes in this scene. And it's up to the director and the editor to cut that and figure the rest of it out. What I understand you say, and this is a, definitely a golden rule in the filmmaking process, but each scene should drive the next. So in other words, one scene should drive to the next, to the next. In other words, it's really a building momentum is what it is. But yeah, and if you have a scene that is either displaced or doesn't belong, you either cut it beforehand, which is really the better way to do it, cut it out of your script because it saves you money, or you cut it after the fact. And like I said, you spent the money at that point, whereas you know that money could go somewhere else because every page of your script is costing you money. It's costing you money, it's costing you time, and it's... It's a yep. difficult decision to make for a lot of, especially a lot of um, first-time filmmakers. It's a very difficult decision to make because you think that every page is important and you think that every scene belongs. And 
But if you were to pass that off to a uh, an experienced head, uh, someone that's been around the block, and you allow them to mark it up, they'll bring you back a script that is probably a lot lighter than what you gave them, just put it that way. Yeah. Well, Greg, i tell you what, man, this has been a very enlightening conversation, a very uh, in-depth and thorough, I think, understanding of what these filmmakers and the actors um, need to do as far as learning to be more collaborative and um, finding those opportunities to kind of get in that niche and hone in on their their niche and their talents and really kind of explore those opportunities and see where it can take them. Because like you said, a lot of folks just don't know. And unfortunately, if you don't know, you don't know. But then by not knowing, it's incumbent on you to go out and figure out how to get that information, how to get that education. So your, uh, your, your knowledge and your girth of expertise is really appreciated. And we really thank you for sharing that with us. Now, uh, cast me in your next film. Greg, do me a favor. Tell our audience where um, they can find you and um, how to how to you know how to reach out to you on social media and whatnot. And we'll close out. That sounds great. Well, the easiest way is Facebook. I do a little Instagramming, but mostly Facebook. Uh, so it's easy to find me for the number four, Greg Thompson. You can also find me on IMDb. Some people like that. I've been getting messages there recently too. So. You can always find me on IMDb. I'm the, the third Greg Thompson. It's a pretty common name. So, but I'm on there. Um, so, or come to El Paso, take a workshop. I've actually had some people fly here and do some classes and workshops and training, which has been fun. So, uh, and we have great Mexican food. So, if that's your thing, you know, come on to El Paso. We'll make you feel most welcome. So, you have um, a website for your for the studio? We are in the process. We are on Facebook as Actorspace EP. So, you can find us there. Um, so now we're we're sort of in the process of uh, getting our classes together, and then we'll launch the website to go with it. But easy access to me is Actorspace EP. It's all one word: A C T O R S P A C E E P for El Paso. Um, and then you can always find me on my own Facebook page as well, the number four Greg Thompson. Excellent, Greg. We thank you so much for your time, man. It's been a great conversation. And yeah, everyone, please go and check out Greg, get in contact with him. And uh, yeah, man, thanks again so much and happy New Year to you. Durante, thank you so much for reaching out. I hope you have a great New Year too. Thank you, man. Take care. And there you have it, folks. Straight from the man himself, Greg Thompson. You can find Greg on Facebook at 4GregThompson or find him on IMDb at Greg Thompson. He's the third one down. And a special thank you to you, my listener, for following along with us at the Expert Process Podcast. Please bear with us as we continue to grow and fine-tune the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to reach out with any suggestions, show ideas, or guest referrals. You can email me at smith.durante at gmail.com. Again, that's smith.durante, D-E-R-O-N-T-E, at gmail.com. And as always, love, peace, and fish grease. And I'm out. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. For only the best show notes, links, classes, and more, go to theexpertprocess.com or follow us on Facebook at The Expert Process or hit us up on Instagram at The Expert Process. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share.